Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, May 9th, 2019. little catch-up on the podcast as far as catching some people up with what we've been doing on YouTube. Catch-up day as I'm preparing for the worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare, compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, <gasps> self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying Instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that's teaching that's put forward for consumption by the average evangelical, far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. It's generally a hot mess nowadays. And you know what? Uh, most people who call themselves Christians prefer it that way. <laughs> they don't want to get confused by what, you know, the Bible says and stuff. You know, and, and, you know, they don't want God to actually be God and, you know, be able to call the shots and things. And, <clears throat> yeah, it might mess up something in their life or whatever. Okay, so uh, what we're going to do today, we're doing a little catch-up with the uh, with the, the video blog, you know, over at YouTube. We're going to take a look at the vision-casting sermon from John Heinrichs titled Big Sided. It's not going to be a full sermon review, but we'll review two segments of it, uh, the first part before the break and the second part after the break. And taking a look at this concept of, you know, God wants to give you some big impossible vision dream thingy to do for your life and, you know, and uh, the implications as to, you know, what that is for Christians. The Bible doesn't teach any of this nonsense but I, I, I think you get the idea. And so in, in honor of the fact that uh, we'll be doing, for real, a, a vision-casting leader update in the truest sense. I mean, this is actual Vision Sunday kind of stuff. Let's <laughs> do this. 
So we're heading out to C3 Church, San Diego, Vision Sunday, in two parts. Not a full sermon review today, but you kind of get the idea. We're checking in with John Heinrichs. In the name of the sermon, this is part one of it, titled Big Sighted. Yeah, that's what it's called. Here we go. Vision Sunday. How many people are here this morning here at Pastor Jurgen? Anybody? Come on, Pastor Jurgen. nobody like... Nobody like Jörg Meister around vision, but, um, but God's not done. He's still got a, he's still got a word for you. And vision Sunday is, is always a big Sunday because it always challenges me because I believe this, I believe God wants you to do the impossible, but to do the impossible, you got to have a vision of something impossible. <laughs> really? God wants me to do the impossible. Well, then why do you give it to me to do? I can only do things that are possible. You know, that's the kind of limitations of being a human and stuff. But which biblical text actually says, God wants you to do the impossible? Yeah, with God, all things are possible. But that's because, you know, with him, nothing is impossible. I think you get the point. But this is already weird. We got to think bigger than just with our human minds. It's hard to do. That's why we got to get into the house of God where the, this kind of an atmosphere where it stretches us a little bit. Stretchy atmospheres there. Yeah. Okay. Made a spandex or something there. And I believe some of us need a dream to wake us up. We've just. Woo. Could, could you consider the paradox there? Well, some of us need a dream to wake us up. Woo. Yeah, this is <clears throat> pseudo-profundity here. I've been living this ordinary life, this ordinary Christianity, but God wants to give you a dream to wake you up. 
<laughs> yeah, now I'm going to back this up. I want you to hear it again, and I'm going to show you a text that just throws a, a wrench into this monkey. Wait a second. No. A monkey – never mind. You get the idea. There's a monkey wrench thingy going on there, but uh, there's a text that will do that. So let me back him up just a smidge. Listen again. I believe some of us need a dream to wake us up. We've just kind of been living this ordinary life, this ordinary Christianity, but God wants to give you a dream to wake you up. There's other people. Yeah, ordinary life, ordinary Christianity. God wants to give you a dream to wake you up, he says. Yeah, here's the thing, and that is is that um, our good works are pretty much spelled out for us as Christians. And, uh, you know, passages like Ephesians chapter 5, you know, be imitators of God, um, you know, don't be sexually immoral and things like that seem to come to mind. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, well, actually the tail end of 5, let me do this. I can put 5 and 6 together and, and and watch then, you know, how our how we do our good works. You know, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. A husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church and his body is himself its savior. Now the church, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Yeah, sounds kind of common. Sounds kind of ordinary. Husbands, get this one. Love your wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, then, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, uh, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And a common, and an ordinary, watch this one, children, obey your parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bond servants, here's the best part. Bond servant, uh, Greek word uh, douloi, uh, you know, that's the uh, plural, doulos, slaves. So um, imagine this, back in the day when the scriptures were written, slavery was still a thing. Yeah, and so how does a slave who doesn't even own himself do his good works? Are you ready? Here's what scripture said. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, and not by way of eye service as a people pleaser, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man. Yeah, so even even somebody who doesn't own themselves can do good works. And you'll note here nothing about saying now because of Jesus is raised from the grave and done the impossible. Now it's your turn. You get to do the impossible and stuff and thingies. No, uh, our good works are done in our vocations and somebody who's a slave can even do their good works. And what's called for is for them to obey their masters. I I wonder what John Heinrichs would say to somebody who's a first century Roman slave, you know, Oh, don't worry. God's going to give you a big dream to stretch you and stuff. Yeah, that this doesn't work. This is not biblical doctrine that he's teaching here. Here that have that have maybe you've got a vision in the past, or maybe you've got a dream in the past, and you're almost caught up to it. 
And so that's why we do Vision Sunday every week, because you need a new vision for a new year. You need a new vision for a new season. Pastor Tommy Barnett says, never catch up to your dreams. Because God's always, he's always looking forward. He's always looking ahead. Yeah, whatever you do, don't, don't catch up to your dreams. No biblical text says that. It also, I don't know who Tommy Barnett is, but he's wrong. Got something new for you. Uh, I'm, I'm 44 at the moment. <laughs> and uh, I haven't been to an optometrist in a long time. But I, I, I was talking to one at a Christmas party this year, and, uh, and I was just kind of asking him, you know, because I'm having a little bit of trouble of seeing close. So when I'm at... That's what glasses are for. Yeah, I've been wearing them for a while. Restaurant, I get out the iPhone light, and I light up the menu. My wife's like, turn that thing off. It's so annoying. So I was talking to the optometrist, and he says, well, you're far-sighted. That means you can see far away but you can't see very well close up. And so if you're nearsighted, you can see kind of close, but you can't really see far away. And one of my strength finders things is futuristic. So, you know, I'm down with that. I can see in the future, futuristic. So it kind of made sense. Um, One of the things I'm praying for, though, is that my eyesight would actually regenerate in 2019. That's not a joke. That's serious. I'm really praying that. I refuse to put on glasses at the moment. So I'm just. Bel- I always find it fascinating when faith healers, you know, they wear they wear glasses and they're calling down healings and stuff. Like Bill Johnson of Bethel, yeah, he wears glasses. Isn't that weird? In God, 2019, my eyesight's going to get better, not worse. God can do the impossible. Indeed. And so it, when I was thinking about nearsightedness and farsightedness, I, I was thinking about God and how He gives us visions that are nearsighted. And he gives us visions that are farsighted. In other words, he gives us... Which biblical text says that God gives us visions? I'm not familiar with that Bible passage. Second hesitations. Mm, yeah. It, 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 fourth Hezekiah. Yeah, where, where'd you find that? That can happen now or this year or this season. He gives us things that can happen in the future far away. And it's our job to discern that. Because if you write down a vision on your vision card, expect it to happen this year, but God's given you a far-sighted vision that might even outlive you, then you're going to be frustrated and discouraged. Because Not more frustrated than I am listening to the sermon. He gives us far-sighted vision. He gives us near-sighted vision. But the th- yeah, no scripture talks about far or near-sighted visions that we're supposed to be receiving as Christians. That he always gives you, whether it's near or far, is it's big. It's always big-sighted. So it's how do I <laughs> Big sighted, yeah. <clears throat> Hence the name of the sermon. So so God is always going to give us big sighted visions, really. How come the slaves in the, the time of the Roman Empire when uh, Paul wrote Ephesians, how come they didn't get no big sighted visions? They They were left with the small, tiny stuff like, you know, yeah, you're probably going to die a slave, so just obey your master as you would the Lord. <laughs> That's a pretty small vision right there, yeah. It's not as big-sided. God wants to give you a big-sided vision for 2019 and beyond. Really, yeah. To infinity and beyond. Um, Yeah, I'm not familiar with those. Where in the Bible does it say God wants to do that for me in 2019? I I believe this. I believe that when we get to heaven, God is not going to look at us and say, I can't believe you believed me so much. I can't believe you believed I could do that. 
I can't believe you had so much faith in me that I could do that for you. You should have believed less. He's not going to say that. He's going to say, look what you left on the table. There was so much more. I gave you a big sighted vision, but you choose, you chose not to believe it. You chose not to, to walk into it. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's really funny is that, that uh, Jesus talks about the day of judgment in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's worth taking a look at what Jesus said uh, regarding the judgment in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll start, we're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis here. Even I have to follow those rules, which are context, context, and context. And uh, we'll start at verse 13, but the passage in question is just a little down there, but uh, we'll work it out. Here's what Jesus says. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Yeah, that, that, that's, not, that's not making me feel warm and fuzzy. Yikes. Okay, so the way to destruction is, is, is huge. It's a, it's a highway. The way to eternal life, it's not a very well-trodden path. It's small. It's narrow. The gate is narrow. The way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it, Jesus says, are few. So beware of false prophets. And those false prophets then come up in that context of enter by the narrow gate, right? Um, false prophets are these people who are going to lead you astray and put you on the wide highway rather than on the narrow path. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing Inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you'll recognize them by their fruits. And now watch what comes up next an example of some of the things we need to be watching for. So not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And watch this, do many mighty works in your name big-sided dream vision kind of thingies, right? Oh, do mighty works in your name. Then I will declare to them, notice Jesus is the judge, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Huh. So doing mighty works, having big-sided dreams, prophesying and all this kind of, that's not the, that's not the sign that you're a believer in Christ. And especially if you're a teacher in his church, you're not teaching the truth. You're one of those ravenous wolves. Well, I think, yeah, we've got this sorted out now. We can come back to uh, what John Heinrichs is saying. He's going to say, you had too much faith in me. He's never going to say that. He's never going to say that. I was at Dream City Conference with Pastor Jurgen um, about 18 months ago, two years ago, and he's, he's told this story. But um, we were at this conference in Phoenix, and it was a, it's a Dream City. And they have at this conference, they have vision cards, kind of like what we have here. And they tell you to write Dream City. Not sure where that is on the map. On your dreams. 
And so we're sitting there during this, during this time, which you're going to have that opportunity at the end. We're writing down, you know, our dreams for, for the future and for, for that year. At the time, we had three campuses. We were talking about the fourth with the awesome Hunleys that are sitting right here in the front row. And, uh, but we'd only had three. And Pastor Jurgen's vision when he got here was one church in four locations. And so while we were there, we're writing down our dreams. And, you know, Pastor Jurgen tells a story. He's having this conversation with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's telling him, like, is that all you got, basically? Like, is that all you're going to write down? Really, he, he was having a conversation with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was saying, is that all, is that, is that all you got? Hmm. Okay. Hmm. So apparently the visions are dependent upon us. They don't come from the Holy Spirit. We've got to work them up within us or something. And Pastor Jurgen's like, you know, I don't want to bother you, God. You know, there's so many thousands of people here. There's a lot on your plate. I don't want to bother you, but the Holy Spirit kept pushing him. And so I just remember, I didn't know he was having that conversation. And I just remember him nudging me and saying, hey, God's telling me not to make it easy on him. He's big. Don't make it easy on him. And I can remember going back to my card and crossing stuff out and adding zeros and increasing my vision on that, on that night. And then God, you know the story, God, uh, Pastor Jurgen writes down. Yeah, I would note that uh, C3 San Diego regularly makes it on Fighting for the Faith. Uh, both the YouTube channel and the podcast, um, because of their lamentably awful false doctrine and teaching and Bible twisting. Pretty sure God the Holy Spirit wasn't talking to Jurgen, you know, at, on that at Dream City, wherever that is. Sixteen campuses, two hundred fifty million dollars worth of worth of real estate. And he's thinking, you know, what do you, what do you think about that, God? And then we go up to the mountain, prayer mountain, and we all pray over our over our vision cards. And by the time he got down. There was something in his spirit that he really believed that we could do 16 campuses. And now, you know, we're one church, 16 locations just in San Diego. And who knows what's going to happen beyond that. The reason I tell you that is because God wants to give you an impossible vision. He wants. No text says that. No text says that God wants to give you an impossible vision. And again, if that were true, why didn't God give slaves of the first century Roman Empire who were Christians? An impossible vision. Why did he just say, yeah, yeah, you just go ahead and obey your masters? Hmm? I'm curious about that. Give you something big-sighted, something bigger than what you can think. And we don't have to take it easy on him. He can take it. He's a big boy. You can believe him for something huge, for something massive. And something big for you might be something small for somebody else, but still big for you. So we can believe God for big things. Mm -hmm. So we can believe God for big things. You know, again... In order for a doctrine to actually be biblical, mm -hmm, you would need to find it in the Bible. And we didn't see no biblical text that says that God is going to give us big-sided visions and thingies like that. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> but uh, we're not done with John Heinrichs. There's going to be a part two to uh, this sermon because oh, it's just that. <laughs> it's the best way I could put it. All right, we are going to uh, <clears throat> pause right there. We'll come back uh, to this <clears throat> mess of a vision-casting sermon from John Heinrich there at C3 Church in San Diego. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Bible Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, uh, a little bit more of this 
vision casting sermon. Yeah, I don't know what that's called. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Presents Church Day Select. I do wish these planes would give us passengers more legroom. Hey, let me help you with your luggage. Oh, thank you so much. What in the world do you have in these bags? Bricks. Bricks? I'm a door-to-door brick salesperson. I'm not even going to ask. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you have not already done so, please stow your carry-on luggage underneath the seat in front of you or in an overhead bin. Please take your seat and fasten your seatbelt and make sure your seat back and tray tables are in their full upright and locked positions. Thank you. Thank you, Brittany. In case y'all don't know me, I'm Mark Driscoll, and I'm going to be your pilot for today. Oh, dear. He looks more like a terrorist, if you ask me. If any of you passengers feel at any time that you could pilot this plane better than me, then you'll be slippery thrown under the bus. I mean plane. As you may have noticed, there are also no parachutes on this flight, which means, should you be thrown off the plane, that your landing will be unpleasant. We thank you for flying Mars Hill Air with us today. I guess it's time to take off, then. Well, let's just hope our flight to Boston will be nice and easy. New Jersey anyway! That's it! God, please escort this man to the back of the plane for violent ejection. Hey! I have my rights! You can't do this to people! Oh, but I can. I can't believe that just happened! 
there's something seriously wrong with all of this. Uh, this is your captain speaking. Do not be alarmed. You are now free to move about the cabin and do as you please. Just whatever you do, don't question my actions or authority. So you're a brick salesperson, huh? Yep. But why on earth would you want to talk about something like that at a time like... Ooh. Yeah. I'm thinking it's time that Mr. High and Mighty got relieved of his duties. It is now time for you all to buckle your seatbelts and hold on tight because we're about to start doing barrel rolls. He's going to do what? <laughs> Remember to always trust your pilots. I know what I'm doing. I do believe the ground is getting awfully close. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. <laughs> to err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Uh, Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that uh, Vision Sunday is heretical. It's never existed in the church until recently. 
just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner, $49.95 a month. And Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you'd like to make a one-time com- uh, uh, contribution donation uh, click on the donate button if you'd like to become a patron on patreon you can click on the become a patron button and if you'd like to support us the old-fashioned analog way you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send it to post office box 13344 grand forks north dakota zip code 58208 and let me thank you for your support we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it yeah i let's uh Put the waiters on and, uh, you know, some kind of breathing apparatus so you don't have to smell the fumes. And let's dive back in. (sighs) Hold your breath. We're going back into uh, another segment of this uh, stinker of a sermon. Uh, Big sighted. Here again is John Heinrichs. So today, today is about getting a vision. Some of you might have already written stuff down. Some of you might already know what you're believing for, for, for 2019. And, uh, and I know some of the things that I'm believing for, but even today I was adding a few things. But I don't want to just write stuff down. No, no. I don't want to just see it when I close my eyes. I want to see it when I close my eyes, but I want to see it come to pass. Right. I yeah. want to see it manifest. I want to see it materialize. I want to yeah. say, I wrote this down in January, and it happened in June. Yeah. And it happened in July. Yeah. Or it happened in December. I want to see it happen. And so today we're going to talk about, hey, when you get a vision, how do we see it happen? How do we see? Yeah, how does one go about seeing a vision happen when God never promised to actually give you a dream to make happen? Weird. Come to pass, because God's going to give us a vision, and we can, and we ha- we do have a role to play. There's things on my vision cards in the past years that haven't come to pass. We always hear about the, you know, it's all your fault, John. If there's stuff on your past year's vision card, I. I how has Christianity survived two millennia without people having vision cards until like the last few years and stuff? Yeah, it's just weird. Everything on my vision card came to pass, and I always feel depressed because not everything on my vision card comes to pass. I don't know why. Sometimes I think I write stuff out of my own flesh and you know my own dreams or whatever, and sometimes it's not a God thing or, or whatever. But I wonder what uh, the church father Irenaeus's vision card looked like, you know, back in the second century. Uh, how about Polycarp? I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he was late first century, early. I wonder what his vision card looked like. Yeah. Polycarp learned the Christian faith from the Apostle John. Yeah. And so I, I, I wonder what John taught him regarding his vision cards. I, you know, and, you know, back in the day, I'm sure getting a hold of parchment and pen may have been a little difficult. Maybe they wrote it on wax tablets or, so, you know, things like that. Yeah. Sometimes I don't actually do anything about it. Like last year I said, I'm going to write a book, but I didn't write a page. I, I'm not going to blame God for that. I'm going to blame my lazy you-know-what for it. But then there, there's other things that I wrote down that I did get, like a house. 
God said you're going to buy a house, so we wrote down house. Now, we have a part to play in that. Now, if God told you you were going to write a book in 2018 and you didn't write a book in 2018, was it really God that told you you would write a book in 2018? We could have just bought a house that was a, you know, that we could have just kind of bought for ourselves. We were living in an awesome house. The landlord said we could buy the house we were in. He's going to give us a good deal. It would have been awesome. God would have blessed it. It would have been great. We could have bought that house and I could have said, man, my vision card came to pass. I bought a house. But it would have been a house that I bought under our own strength. I wanted a God house. I wanted a God size. A God house. A God size house. Yeah, I, I wonder about, you know, our Christian brothers and sisters who live in third world countries. They, they don't have God size houses and they don't even have running water. Yeah. But they really probably need to do is get c3 missionaries out there have them write down stuff on their vision cards yeah that'll really help them house so we have a we have a part to play we have a role to play in what we're writing down and if it comes to pass or not comes to pass and then at what level it comes to pass so tonight i want to talk about how do we how do we get our vision one of my favorite stories is stories is the story of lazarus in john 11 mm-hmm Mary and Martha come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, Lazarus, your friend is sick. And the Bible says that Jesus loved Lazarus. And he says that he loved Lazarus. And when he heard he was sick, it said, now notice something here that his Bible is sitting closed on that podium. Yeah. Yeah. It's on that little lectern. Yeah. Thingy. Yeah. It's, it's closed. Hmm. I don't think we're going to hear correctly what happens in John 11. I find it very difficult to actually preach and teach God's word accurately, correctly, rightly, without the text in front of you. Details kind of matter, you know. Kicked it for two more days. He just, I love Lazarus. I know he's sick. He's going to die, but I'm just going to stay here for two more days. I got some more business to handle here, and then I'll head over. And so he, he waits two days, and then he heads over. And then we pick up the story. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to the story. Pick up the story, though, in John 11, 38 to, to 44. And it says this. It says this. So 38 to 44, we're finally going to get to the text, 38 to 44. Yeah, we're not going to. Are you in a hurry, John? I mean. You need to be somewhere after church today. Why don't you read the whole story? It's a great story. Theology, and it's amazing. I think there's a reason why he's picked the section that he's picked. Because if he were to read the whole thing out, he wouldn't be able to say some of the things that he's about to say. In fact, <clears throat> let's do this. Let's take a look at John chapter 11, shall we? And we'll read the whole story. Why not? So now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, if you remember, I think that... uh, John Heinrich said that the reason why Jesus said that, you know, we're going to hang out here for a couple of days is because he had business to tend to. Yeah, in fact, let's do this. Let's back this up just a little bit and see what he says again regarding Jesus 
and the reason why he stayed. Yeah. Come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, Lazarus, your friend is sick. Yeah. And the Bible says that Jesus loved Lazarus. Yes. And he says that he loved Lazarus, and when he heard he was sick, it said he kicked it for two more days. He just, I love Lazarus. I know he's sick. He's going to die, but I'm just going to stay here for two more days. I got some more business to handle here, and then I'll head over. Yeah, that's what he said. I see. So, so you claim Jesus said, I've got some more business to handle here, and then I'll head over. Jesus said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Hmm. Well, okay, that's kind of interesting. Now, let's keep going here. So now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And after this, he said to the disciples, let us go up to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you're going, uh, you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Yeah, see, the disciples really kind of overcooked some things here. They didn't quite get what was going on. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So you'll note the emphasis here is on belief in Jesus. And this this sign that Jesus performs of raising the, uh, Lazarus from the dead. Yeah, spoiler alert, that's what's going to go down here in a minute. Um, but that the whole purpose of the sign is to show that Jesus is the resurrection of the life and that anyone who believes in him, even though he dies, yet sh he shall live. That's the point of this particular sign. Now, a little bit of a note here. In the Gospel of John, chapter 20, Verse, verses 30 and 31, we are given the major thesis statement of the entire Gospel of John. And it's, it's a great thesis statement. Listen to what John says is the reason why he wrote the things that he wrote. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The whole purpose of John writing his gospel and recording the signs that Jesus did was so that you would believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's the whole purpose. So we continue then with our story then, and you'll note that, you know, that Martha is, is one who is confessing belief in Jesus, and Jesus is assuring her that he is the resurrection of the life, and anyone who believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. So when she had said this, she went and then called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. You'll you'll note that Jesus even is emotionally overtaken by the magnitude, just the awfulness of this, the suffering that we go through as a result of when our loved ones die and leave us. So the Jews said, Oh, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, believed what? Believed in Jesus. So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. There we go. Belief in Jesus. Believe that God the Father sent him. So when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Great story. Great text. And remember what John said in John 20. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's the purpose of why this was written. Now, all of that being said, let's go back to John Heinrichs, as he will try to explain to us what's really going on in this story and how it relates to how you can see your visions in your vision card manifest this year in 2019. He waits two days and then he heads over. And then we pick up the story. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to the story. We pick up the story, though, in John 11, 38 to, to 44. And it says this. It says, then Jesus, again groaning in himself, he was upset, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. 
It was almost like she was like, you don't have to go in there. It's going to stink. Thank God Jesus kept going. Then Jesus said to her, did I not say to you? And this is what I want you to get. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Did I not say that if you would believe, then you would see the vision that I gave you come to pass? Yeah, that right there, that's what we call eisegesis. He's just stuck something into the biblical text that's not there. Nowhere in John 11 does it say that if you believe that you will see your vision come to pass. That's not what this text is about at all. This is about one of the major signs recorded for us in the Gospel of John. And these signs were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you might have life in his name. Hmm. Manifest, materialize. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes. Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing around, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. There's so much in there, but I just want to focus on that Jesus said to Martha, did I not say to you that if you would believe, then you would see? If you would believe, then you would Yeah, believe in Jesus. That's the whole point of the text. Notice he just ripped this portion right out of its context, ignored all of the anchoring points that explain what Jesus meant by believe. It's, it, it ignores the whole thesis statement of the Gospel of John, and now he's just using Jesus' words as if somehow what Jesus is saying, here's how you see big-sided visions come to pass in your life. That's not what Jesus is up to at all. See the glory of God. In order to see our visions come to pass, we got to believe. we got to believe so that we can see. Now, Jesus comes to Martha and he says, did I not tell you? In other words, you wouldn't have needed me to come here if you would have believed. You could have handled this yourself. Unbelievable. I, I, this is, if there were a blasphemy meter, you know, this, the, the needle would like be pegged tink, all the way over. This is un uh, just jaw-droppingly blasphemous. And the fact that people are not standing up and walking out and saying, you are a false teacher, this is utter blasphemy, which what is spewing forth from your facial orifice, is, just shows you just how deceived and deluded they are. Let me back this up. Listen again. That we can see. Now, Jesus comes to Martha and he, said, and he says, did I not tell you? In other words, you wouldn't have needed me to come here if you would have believed. You could have handled this yourself. I'll still come if you can't handle it, but you could have handled it six days ago. Wow. Wow. Yeah. No, no text says that. That's not the whole, that's not the point of John 11 at all. This is a wolf, a ravenous one. He's a false teacher. He didn't even have to go to the tomb because I said, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. And so that we see that the glory of God is actually a supernatural act that has the signature of God on it. That's what the glory of God is. It's kind of an easy way to explain it. The glory of God. Yeah, funny that you would mention that glory of God stuff because Jesus actually talked about that, you know, after he heard of 
Lazarus's illness, let's remind you, Jesus said this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. Yeah, you see that the whole point was that Jesus was glorified by him raising Lazarus from the dead. And you think that this is all about Jesus basically chastising Mary and Martha, saying, you could have taken care of this all by yourself six days ago. No, that's not what Jesus was saying or hinting at at all. The signature of God where he gets the glory. It's something it's something supernatural. So we got to believe so that we can see the glory of God. You and I are called believers for a reason. Yeah, because we believe in Jesus in Jesus job is to believe not just believe in general to believe in Christ to believe in him for the forgiveness of our sins. My favorite stories is when Jairus's daughter dies. Somebody comes up to Jesus and said, don't bother the teacher no more. Your daughter is dead to Jairus. And Jesus says, ah, he says, do not be afraid, Jairus. Only believe. Believe what? Believe in whom for what? Believe in Jesus. That's the point. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Your job and my job is to believe. If things don't go well, guess what? We're still called to believe. If things don't go our way, guess what? Tomorrow, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe God. Because the Bible never says stop believing. It just says only believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you get the point. Yeah, blasphemous. Oh, indeed. Yeah, it, it doesn't get more blasphemous than this. But this is par for the evangelical course nowadays. I mean, false teachers and wolves have taken over. And rather than the sheep running and fleeing for their lives, they sit there and go, ooh, ah, this is the best thing ever. No, it's not. This is the absolute doctrines of demons we got going on here. Because you'll note then that by him twisting this text the way he did, Christ wasn't glorified in his preaching at all. Nope. No, in fact, it's all about glorifying yourself. Because look, at you got to make... This dream happened, so it's up to you. It's up to you and your belief. And uh, you don't need Jesus. You just need to believe. Mm -hmm. Right. This is not biblical at all. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ. His vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.